the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Answering Legal's Everything Except the Law podcast. I am your host, Nick Worker. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the podcast where we share expert advice on all the parts of running a law firm that attorneys weren't exactly trained for back in law school. Now, today we'll be combining forces with another terrific legal podcast as we welcome two or the two creators of the Maximum Lawyer, attorneys Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. In this episode, we're going to be learning all about the origins of Maximum Lawyer, and of course, we'll be asking Jim and Tyson to share some of their top law office management tips. We have a lot to cover, so I got to get right into it. Thank you both for joining us today. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your individual law careers and also how you got to know each other? So my name is Jim Hacking. I'm an immigration lawyer in St. Louis, Missouri. I've been practicing law. It'll be 25 years this October. And I was a general practice commercial litigator for two years. Then I was a maritime lawyer for eight years or so. Then I've practiced immigration law for 15 years. So um, my wife is originally from Egypt. We met in law school. She moved to the States when she was seven. And after law school, I changed my religion. I converted to Islam and the Muslims were always asking me to help them with immigration matters. And I would always try to refer them to other Immigration lawyers, those immigration lawyers would tell me they were too busy not to send them any more cases. I thought that would be a good problem to have, and I wanted to have my own firm. So I went to my wife when we had two and a half kids, and she's, and I said, I really, really want to open my own firm. It's been my lifelong dream. And she said, funny, that's interesting because we've known each other for 10 years, and you've never told me that. So <laughs> she wanted me to do a binder and to come up with a plan to like what the law firm was going to look like. So I worked on that for about seven months, which I never actually used. I just did it to make her happy so that she'd let me open the law firm. We opened the law firm and I thought I would do all kinds of law for immigrants, like car accidents for immigrants, wills for immigrants, and then learn immigration for immigrants. But it became clear pretty quickly that the need was really with immigration. So in 2012, we started focusing exclusively on immigration. And then around that time, I was teaching a class at St. Louis University School of Law on law practice management. I was asked to teach it one summer because the regular professor was out for the summer. And, and that's where I met Tyson. I love the idea of two and a half kids. Like, I know what you mean, but two and a half kids. It's a good segue. So my career was a little bit different than Jimmy's. So I knew second semester of law school that I wanted to try cases. So 
I also knew that I wanted to open my own firm at some point, but I had worked for a volume injury firm in St. Louis and that abruptly ended one day. And uh, so I, I started my firm a little bit earlier than what I had planned. And I started doing criminal defense and personal injury, criminal defense just because I had to pay some bills and then personal injury because it was what I was used to, what I knew. I knew some about criminal defense because one of the partners at uh, the firm I worked for, he did criminal defense. And so I learned a little bit. And so I was able to do that for, did that until about 2017, 2018. And then I, I gave up on that just because I, I just wanted to focus on personal injury. And it's one of those things where similar to Jim, I've had a partner. We're no longer partners, but I've done the whole partnership thing. Didn't work out. Wasn't for me. And then I'd say over the last five, six years, we've I've seen probably the best growth I've seen since I've started my firm. And it was 2011, whenever I, I first started that firm. It's been exponential growth. It's been just, I've seen more growth than what I expected. It was It's kind of crazy once you start focusing on one practice area and one practice area only, which I'm sure Jim has experienced the same thing, that once you've niched down, things change quite a bit for your firm. I think it comes out next week. I had a conversation with um, Chris Dreyer about niching down your firm and how you think like, oh, it's going to be, I'm going to get less work. and But it's not necessarily the case. If you're an expert, you obviously, more people will want to come to you. So I want to talk about Maximum Lawyer because, I mean, you both have successful separate careers. Can you take us through the history of Maximum Lawyer, about the origins, how it's grown? Like, how, how did you two start this? So we were having lots of conversations about running our law firms, about the headaches, the heartaches, the fun, and the the pain of running a law firm. And around this time, I was listening pretty regularly to a great podcast called I Love Marketing. And I thought it would be fun for us to start recording our conversations. And we used to do them on Skype and some of our older episodes probably have background noise of trains going by or construction out on the street. It was a pretty low budget deal. But uh, at first, we just started talking to each other. And then the nice thing about the podcast was as we started bringing on experts to help us figure out things that we were trying to work on in our own firm. So we sort of created the podcast that we needed for ourselves. Yeah. And I'll just add on to that. It's kind of fun just thinking about it because we've been asked this a few times and it's kind of fun to go back every time and think about it because I always pick up extra things every time I think about it. I don't know about you, Jim, but like whenever we kind of like talk about like the origin of Maximum Lawyer and some of the things that Jim left out is that he was the brainchild for the name of Maximum Lawyer. We were all brainstorming in a conference room. We had another partner at the time and, and Jim came up with the name of uh, Maximum Lawyer and his, because he was working on at the time Maximum Jim. He was trying to improve himself. And so he's like, oh, what about Maximum Lawyer? It was, it was like, it was, it was perfect timing for coming up with the name of it. But I also think back to, I sat in his class and he brought all these other people in. And it's funny how, like, what Jim's style was, let's bring in other people to teach the class. And so he would bring in for each class, he'd bring in a new, a new attorney to teach something. I mean, it was a really effective way. And it's very similar to what we've done on the podcast too. But. We had not like run into each other and seen each other for a little bit. And we ran into each other at a Culver's. And that's whenever we started to, to start to talk again about running a law practice and, had, and brainstorming all these ideas. And they're like, oh, let's do the podcast. That's really what it was. And Jim's right. It was to help our own firms. It was really what we wanted to talk about things that were, were helping us. And that's been a massive 
benefit for the two of us because we get to talk to fantastic law firm owners. We get to talk to fantastic business owners, but we also get to talk to people that are struggling and seeing what they're doing wrong. And we can kind of adjust what we're doing based on what kind of what we hear. So it's been a really cool experience for both of us. We've been able to learn quite a bit. I love the story of naming the podcast. We wanted to start a podcast. We knew, so I'm not a lawyer and nobody that works here is a lawyer. And we're like, what can we talk about? What value can we offer lawyers? Well, we know a lot about marketing and we have a lot of connections. So we get people on the show. We're like, what are we going to name this thing if we can't talk about the law? And I think Joe is the one who named it, Joe Galati, my colleague. It's like, why don't we talk about everything except the law? And that's just where it came from. We had all these crazy, witty names, level up your law firm, things like that. And it was just, we don't know anything about what we're talking about. So we can't talk about that. I want to ask you about the group. So obviously the Maximum Lawyer Facebook group, it has to be either the most popular or among the most extremely popular groups for attorneys to get feedback from their peers. So did you ever imagine that the group would become this successful when you first started it? And why do you think lawyers are so comfortable engaging in this space? Well, I'm a little surprised in the success in as to how it's used more than anything, because the initial idea for the group was just create a community for our listeners to kind of hang out and talk and, and, and talk to each other. I, I think now it's used mostly as like a resource for information about things, whether that be, we got a joke, like you can kind of go in there and figure out like, what's the best scanner? Every week there's a new one about like, well, what's the best answering service? You know, like, so you can get information like that and make your own decision. So I'm a little surprised as to how it's used now, I think. I think that the way the guild is used is much more similar to the way the big group used to be. We, we kind of differentiate the two between the big group and, and the guild. And so I, I'm a little surprised when it comes to that. I, I, I'm not surprised by the number of people in it. It's one of those things where we've been putting out good content. I'm not ashamed to say that. We've been putting out good content for six, seven years now. And so I'm not surprised by that. But I, I am surprised by how it's been used, though. We very actively kick people out that have a negative outlook or that are complaining about things. And I think that's really helped. I also think that running a law firm is a pretty isolating activity that no one knows the pressures of the law firm owner other than other law firm owners or maybe other business owners. And there's things that you can say to each other in the Facebook group that you wouldn't be able to say to your team members. And some of our best episodes are the ones where we're the most vulnerable or the most real and talking about the things that really suck. And I think that people were just looking for connection and we're looking for people that are going through the same thing. And so we started the Facebook group and then all of a sudden people started participating. And when they started participating, then, you know, you started having friends around the country who may not even practice the same kind of area of law that you do, but that you feel a real connection to because they told you about a struggle. They told you about something they overcame. And so we started this group and then, you know, we had, oh, there's Bernard in Alabama. And there's, I mean, I could name seven attorneys right now from Alabama, Kyra, Mo, Kristen. So there's all kinds. So that we have all these and I, you know, I can see them and picture them. And then we had our first conference and I was like, oh, these people that I know electronically now I know in real life. And so it was just really, really organic, but it was also really, really tapping into a need that I think people were having. So same breath. What would you say is some of the most fun or interesting interactions that you've had with other attorneys or members of Maximum Lawyer? Well, we had one podcast episode where somebody was either drunk or high. So that was a lot of fun. We think about that one often. Who was drunk? The guest? The guest. Yes, the okay. guest. I think it was after a long weekend of University of Florida football and 
the person was not making a whole lot of sense. Um, <laughs> but it was fun nonetheless. I mean, we've had a lot of good experiences. We've had ones where we, we've done them by ourselves. I enjoy talking to Tyson, just he and I. We've had the opportunity to meet great lawyers face-to-face and to uh, hear their stuff. So I don't know, Tyson, what do you think? Which ones stand out for you? Yeah, I'm thinking about a few different things. I'm thinking about from both ends of the spectrum, like the negative and the positive. I mean, like on the negative side, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get that one first. In, in general, I'll tell you, I'm not a negative person, but like lawyers can be children. Like they can act like ch- children sometimes because Jim's right. Like we definitely do take care when it comes to the group, making sure that we don't have abusive people in the group and people that are just there to troll people and all that. So we, we pick them out and it's kind of interesting to see people from that end of the spectrum. But then on the other end of the spectrum, it's amazing that like people are there to like learn and like get information and share information and seeing people that are crying because they're not going to be able to make their mortgage next week that person and then seeing them in like three years, like seeing where they've grown to and seeing like how they've got like a, a massively successful firm. And I'm not going to mention who that person is, but there are several of those stories. And that's what I think is cool is watching them go from like just in a really, really tough spot to then getting to like a highly successful law firm. Like that's the stuff that I think is really just remarkable. I agree with you. And I recently we started shooting a lot of uh, customer testimonial videos. We put them on Facebook. And uh, the response is great. It's a lot of fun to work with our customers. But so we started hiring these companies in other places. And I was sitting down with somebody the other day and we're going over who we can call in like Chicago and and we're saying names. I'm like, oh, my God, that guy is still with us. Yes, he started out seven years ago. So it's just crazy to see. And it really it makes you feel good about what you do, that that you've helped, at least in some regard, people achieve success. But I got to tell you, so. I'm like the, I don't know how to describe it. I guess I'm the man behind the curtain, so to speak. So I get all our Facebook comments, all that crap that comes through. And I got one recently. It's just an ad. It just says uh, 24-7 answering. I don't even know what it says. Something very basic. Like, you can't argue about this. And this guy, I think he commented on like four different sizes. He found them all somehow. And he wrote, chat GPT, you're cooked. And I'm like... I don't think you even know what you're talking about there, man. So I get it. You got to hide the bad comments because they just ruin it for everybody. I want to ask you, because this is one of those things that I can't really ask a lot of people because no one really sees the back end, I think, of the financials of a law firm like you guys do. So recently on your podcast, you covered the six worst financial mistakes that lawyers can make. We'll let people go check out the episodes. I'm going to put that link to that in the description. But while you're here, I wanted to ask you, what's the biggest financial mistake that you guys have made that you want to warn people against early on in your careers? My first piece of advice for anyone opening a law firm now is always to get their chart of accounts squared away and to get a bookkeeper involved from day one. It's much easier to do that than to do what I did, which was I used to walk around and proudly brag, ha, 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 I'm a history major. I'm a lawyer. I don't need to know my numbers. I don't need to pay attention to all that stuff. I'm in it to help people. I'm not in it to make money or to make payroll, right? And so it's just sort of the entitled little worldview of, well, things will work themselves out. I don't really need to pay attention to it. That's That was all a bunch of BS. You've got to know your numbers. you got to know if you're making money. I almost drove the firm into the ground because I took my eye off signing up new cases and Hopefully, I'll never make that mistake again. I've had to clean up 
prior bookkeeper mistakes twice uh, with two other bookkeepers, mostly because of my lack of follow through on that stuff. So that's been my biggest mistake is just sort of the, the hubris of thinking everything will work itself out if I just keep going. And I'll just add to that. It's not necessarily when it comes to the chart of, the, of accounts, but you need to have a system for handling your money. So I highly recommend like reading like a book like Profit First, because just because you have, let's say, you have $50,000 in your bank account, just because you have $50,000 in your bank account doesn't mean that that's your money, right? You're going to owe the IRS, you're going to owe state taxes, all that kind of stuff. So having a system for things like that, where you're putting your money in buckets is really, really important. That way you actually know how much money you actually have as opposed to like what you're going to owe to other people. And so just in, for example, let's say you owe money for, you know, firm bonuses or something like that. Have a bucket for that because that way, you know, okay, this money's for firm bonuses. This is for owner's compensation. This is for taxes, whatever it may be. Okay. This is the part that I have to work with here and having some system like that. And it, it doesn't have to be propped first. I'm sure there's other really good systems out there, but using a system like that is really effective for you knowing actually what money you have to work with. The Zapathon is back. If you're new around here, the Zapathon is the OG automation workshop. At this next exclusive guild event, we're partnering up with Maximum Lawyer's good friend, Kelsey Bratcher, to bring you a day and a half automation workshop. The idea of automation is simple, right? Identify a repeatable pattern of tasks and then use technology so that business process can happen without you. But setting up that technology can be daunting, time consuming, and even have a steep learning curve. Join us in person and you'll create automations on site that will start working for you before you even leave Austin. Join the guild today and grab your ticket at maxlawevents.com. So I'm sure that through your group, you see a lot of fellow attorneys making some very, I don't know, head scratching or like, uh, I don't know, frustrating mistakes. What's the most common lawyer marketing mistake that you see that just like drives you crazy the most? I want to take this one first, Jim. I wonder if you're going to say the same thing. They stop doing what they started doing. I don't care what the thing is. You name the thing. Whatever the marketing thing is, they stop after a month or two. They're like, oh, I didn't get any results, so it doesn't work. And so that is the most frustrating thing because the most important thing is consistency. And you've got to be consistent about it. So that to me is frustrating. They don't stick with it. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes, if not the biggest mistake. For me, it's the lack of giving up of control. Lawyers are control freaks and they keep their firms small and they're afraid to grow because they're afraid to let go of controlling every single thing. I talked to a law firm owner once who was still doing basic bookkeeping, even though he had a firm of like seven people. And I mean, like he was doing the bookkeeping. He was drafting the checks to be signed. He was balancing out the you know, client trust account and all that stuff. It just made no sense at all. And it's because I think people who are tend to be control freaks tend to become lawyers. And then once they're in charge, they don't have any checks on themselves. So that stuff sort of goes into hyperdrive. Then they get stressed. So they say, I got to control more. And so they really hold on tightly. And then if they try to step outside their comfort zone and hire someone and it doesn't work the very first time, then they say, oh, that'll never work. I'm never going to do that again. That's really what drives me crazy. So obviously you guys share a lot of great tips through Maximum Lawyer, but I want to flip things around for a second and ask, what's the most valuable thing that each of you learned from somebody like another attorney in Maximum Lawyer? Yeah, for me, two of our great mentors are Mitch Jackson and John Fisher. And John Fisher is the author of two great books, 
the first one being The Power of a System. And that book sort of helped me see that I really needed to systematize things, that I had a lot of things in my head of how we do things, and I needed to get that nailed down and into paper or procedures. And then with Mitch, he taught me about the importance of being everywhere when it comes to social media and not being afraid to create content, to regularly create content, to publish content on a regular basis, and to sort of have a voice and say what I want to say. Man, I'm struggling with this one because there's just so many good things we've learned over the years. I guess if there's one lesson I've learned overall and not from one specific person is that like there's a lot of power in just the podcast in general when it comes to reaching out to so many different people and connecting with so many different people. And like having that network of people is just so massively important because of the work that we've done over the last six, seven years. Uh, like we have like we can reach out in any single state. I think Hawaii would be the toughest one. Or Alaska, maybe, but like I'll send a text to Jim, like, "Hey, uh, a state playing attorney in I don't know, New Jersey or something like that." We, I, I know several in that state, but if I can give whatever practice area it is and whatever, like whatever state, there's a list of people that we have that we can connect to, and it's just it's really incredible. So I think that that's the thing that, that sort of stands out the most to me. I I can't think of a, a one particular lesson that I've learned from someone, but we've because there's just been so many. I think that's a fair answer. I'm curious because. I usually ask lawyers that come on the show what they think like the future of law will be, what they're excited about. But I think as someone who talks to so many lawyers, you actually do have a fundamental understanding of where things are heading based on like patterns that you'll see of new things that come out. So what do you think is next on the horizon for the future of law? Like what excites you? What concerns you the most? What's the next, I don't know, big thing? I think this is an obvious one. I think it's one that we're that we're dealing with right now. And it is now March of 2023. All right, it's almost the end of it, right? Chat GPT launched in November. Okay. And the acceleration in AI in the last five months has been intense. Case Text just announced basically a legal assistant that does legal research for you and writes legal memos for you. Like it can write briefs for you. Okay. It is intense. Right. And so that is just, those are, those are just things that have developed over the last five months. And so I think if we didn't mention that, I think we would be negligent in doing so. It's that is where we are right now. I do think there should be a little bit of a concern that if you don't utilize it, you could be left behind. I, I'm not one of those alarmists that says it's going to destroy the law because attorneys are going to be necessary, right? There was already a lawsuit about a, a bot practicing law. Someone's already filed a lawsuit about, a lawsuit about that. So a lawyer is going to be necessary. But if you're not utilizing artificial intelligence in some capacity, you're going to be left behind. And what it's going to allow you to do is get a lot more work done in a shorter amount of time. And it's going to save your clients money. It's probably going to lower your cost because you're going to need less people to do it. So I do think there's a general workforce problem and not just legal, but it, I think it could reduce a lot of jobs. But I think there's also other jobs that will develop because of that. But I think, I think the AI is a massive one that we've got to keep an eye on. Travel agents used to have all of the secret ways of getting people cheap plane tickets. Real estate agents used to have the MLS and they had exclusive access to all the information about the buying and selling of houses. Over time, we've seen websites sort of knock most travel agents out of business. They're still successful travel agents, ones who do what they do and do it very well, but they've really had to perfect their craft. 
with real estate, people have more information at their fingertips than any agent did five or 10 years ago, right? You can find out anything you want about a particular house or particular piece of property. That too has gotten faster and faster as more information has become available. Lawyers have been doing everything they can to keep the general public from figuring out what it is that we do and how we do it and setting up this monopoly called the practice of law. And it's starting to get chipped away at in states like Utah and Arizona. That stuff's coming. That stuff's coming. And if you don't pay attention to chat GPT for all the reasons Tyson just mentioned, you should pay attention to it for one reason, and that is the speed of adoption. The speed of adoption of chat GPT is exponentially faster than Facebook ever was. So when it comes, it's going to come fast. And if you're not able to stand out and to have the, the access to the clients, it's going to be everything. Access to the clients and a way to get the clients is going to be everything because almost everything else is going to become a commodity. I'm not an alarmist either. I remember when everybody, so I was big into SEO for a while. I'm a marketing guy. And I remember voice search. Everybody's telling me voice search is going to replace regular search. And I said, ah, no, it's not. And for the most part, I was kind of right. And then they said, all these things are going to come out. The Google ads is going to kill search. This is going to kill search. And uh, when ChatGPT came out, everybody's telling me, oh, ChatGPT, it's going to write content. It's going to do this. And I'm like, no, it's not. And it is. And a lot of like Bing, Microsoft just launched their own ChatGPT. I know Google is giving people access to Bard, which is the beta for theirs. And I have a buddy who runs a, it's like an anti-bullying charity organization. And for whatever reason, he posted an essay that Bard had wrote about his, it was a, sort of like a press release about what he's doing. And I read it. And at the end, I couldn't tell whether or not a person had written. Now, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't like a compelling article that it was just very, um, but it was cohesive. It made sense. It built on previous points. And it, it looked as if a human could write this. So I imagine that the implications of writing legal briefs is not that far away. I do also imagine that it could provide more jobs, like the people who are specializing in creating briefs or outsourcing these briefs for lawyer briefs, memos, filings, whatever that you need written up. Do you guys know of anybody who's utilizing this sort of thing yet? Or is it still like uh, a little too early? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I know that we're using it in our firm to develop content. I'm not going to tell you exactly why uh, or how, because it's. I think what we're doing is pretty amazing. What I'm doing over here is I'm pulling up case text, right? This is a something that they're only they're kind of limiting who gets access to it right now, but they've got this co-counsel. I just pulled up this chat that I did earlier. We got an email from an adjuster, and there's something called a set off, and yada. I'm not going to go into the details, but I asked it to go find me the case law on this. And then it actually asked me clarifying information. Wow. I gave it back. It went and gave me all the information, all the cases, and it took me about five minutes total, as opposed to digging through a bunch of different cases and reading through those cases. And that was just one thing that I did today, and I just started it today, right? Because our buddy Ryan McKean, he mentioned it. Someone else had mentioned it in the Guild, and then Brian McKean had tweeted about it on, on Twitter. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to test this thing out. And it's quite impressive. One of the major problems with ChatGPT is that it doesn't provide the citations. I've got all the citations right now. If I, want, if I wanted it to write me a memo, it would write me a memo. So that's one example that I can give you. But there's you can create right now. I could take all of the content from this podcast, and I could take all, all the videos from me and Jim, 
and I could create using AI, I could upload our videos, I could upload our audio, and we could start producing, if we wanted to, podcast after podcast after podcast about a variety of different topics, and it wouldn't even be mere gem. Like, that's what you can do right now. Like, that is what you can do right this very minute. It's quite crazy the things you can do. Kind of alarming. <laughs> so, if our listeners are not already connected with Maximum Lawyer, how can they connect with you guys further? And I know you mentioned the Guild. How can they access the Guild as well? Yeah. So if you want more information, you can join us on the big Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search Maximum Lawyer. You join us there. If you want a more high level conversation, go to maxlawguild.com. That's where we've got, it's a membership group where we've got a lot of just amazing members that are willing to share really all their secrets in the group. And it's pretty amazing. So if you want that, go to maxlawguild.com. If you want to just find out more information about Maximum Lawyer in general, go to maximumlawyer.com. Awesome. I'd like to thank both you guys, Jim and uh, Tyson, for joining me on the show today. Thank you to all of our listeners. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation, and we will be back with another episode of Everything Except the Law soon. Be sure to check out previous episodes of our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Answering Legal YouTube channel. Thanks, Thanks Nick. Nick. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.